0: Good morning, Orchard Church. Yeah, great to see you guys here today on this wonderful uh, Sunday, which we've experienced the heat wave over the last couple of days. Yeah, yeah, you're all happy for that, and uh, I'm glad to hear that. This morning we continue our series called The Vow. We're looking at The Vow Part 2 today. If you want to go ahead and open up your Bibles to Genesis Chapter 2. And we're going to start in verse number 24. If you're using one of those Bibles that you've picked up in the back, that's on page number one. The very first page. So we're starting at the beginning. How many of you would say that you married someone who is the opposite of you? So raise your hand nice and high. (laughs) A few elbows first. Okay. All right. put Put your hands down. Yeah, you know they say when you're dating that opposites attract, right? And, and, you know, when you get married, they often say that opposites attack. Right? <laughs> so, you know, I, I know that I married uh, someone who's opposite of me. You know, we like different things and kind of have opposite personalities. And, you know, just kind of on, on a personal note, uh, when when we go to a big event, not, not like small group or, or having some folks over, but when we're at a really big event, Crowded uh, party or event, something like that. Uh, I know that when I leave that event, I'm always kind of down afterwards because I, I like those events and the the big crowded places. And and my wife, on the other hand, when when we leave a big event like that, uh, it's it's kind of, for her. It's more of a whew, okay, that's you know that's over and. Uh, you know, relieved and, and all that. But, we're, you know, we're just opposites like that. And, you know, that's kind of been a, a source of, uh, you know, tension or something. We've got to, you know, make sure we're looking at how long we going there. You know, what are we going to be doing? How many people are going to be there? All, all of that. We want to, you know, make sure that uh, we're, we're both good with big events like that. But uh, today, I want to talk to you about the kind of partnership marriage is. And what that includes. It includes a couple of things. How many of you remember the movie Jerry Maguire? Seriously, any If you remember the movie Jerry Maguire? Now, there are three key lines in that movie. All right? You can say them with me. Uh, the first one is, show me the money. Yeah, you got that one, right? You've used that this week. And uh, the, the other one is, you had me at hello. hello. Right? All the ladies knew that one. And then the other one is, you blank me. You complete me. You remember that? Yeah. And no, not you deplete me. Who said that? It's you complete me. You complete me. And see, oftentimes God uses opposites in the covenant marriage relationship to complete one another. When two come together, and we'll, we can really, when that happens, we can serve the Lord better. We can uh, walk with Him better. We can uh, have a healthier marriage when that happens because op- opposites often come together and will complete one another. Yet our spiritual enemy, the devil, wants to use those opposites and have us compete with one another. But God wants to use those opposites to help complete us. And that's why today we're, talk, we're going to talk about the vow of partnership. Let's review uh, last week's vow, the first vow, and then we'll look at the second vow, and of course next week we'll look at the third. So in your notes this morning we have vow number one, if you'll remember from last Sunday, and that is this. I promise that God will be my number one priority and my spouse will be my number two priority. You remember that from last week? That's vow number one. Now, how many of you did your homework last week the, that you were assigned? Okay, a few of you we're going to let out today. <laughs> yeah, the, we had an assignment at the end of last week. And, and I'm glad to see some of you did your homework in that. And then uh, that's, that's an important vow. Now, as we approach this week's vow... You remember uh, what it was like being single, if you're married here today. You, you remember being single, single life. Some of you are going, no, I don't even remember that. That was so long ago. <laughs> you remember single life, and you, and you just kind of you, you did whatever you wanted to, right? You kind of came and went as you please. And you, you, you often would say things much to the amusement of married people like this. Oh, I'm just really busy right now. Or, oh, I'm just, oh, I got so much going on in life. You know, as a single person and married people would go, oh, right. <laughs> you know nothing yet, right? And uh, and you, you remember how you had hobbies and you just kind of, if you wanted to go at 9 o'clock at night to... Uh, go do whatever uh, golf you could go do that or you could just leave and you know you had no one else but you it was all me and uh, and that's how that's how single life is and then all of a sudden you know God brings somebody into your life and then eventually you know you walk down that aisle together and you get married and that single life of yours is about to be flipped upside down, and suddenly it goes from all about me to we, right? It goes from me to we, and oh, things change there, and that is why today, vow two in your notes, if you want to take a look there, vow number two is this, I promise our marriage will be about we, not me. Real simple fill-ins there for you. I promise our marriage will be about we, not me. All right? And as we did last week, let's say vow two together. Vow number two. I promise our marriage will be about we, not me. All right? This is the vow of partnership. The vow of partnership. Uh, If you're there now, go ahead and look at Genesis chapter 2. This is the passage where God created marriage, and this is where all of these vows that we're going to be looking at come from, right out of this passage here. So Genesis chapter 2, down in verse number 24, it says this. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And we'll stop right there. You might just underline that in your Bible, the word one They shall become one flesh. And maybe you've heard that before in church at some point in your life. Now the Hebrew word for one in that passage is translated at God. And it means united, all together, completely joined as one. Okay? Uh, Solomon said, the wisest man Solomon said in the book of Ecclesiastes that a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Great verse there in Ecclesiastes 4.12. A cord of three strands. And I like to picture that verse in the context of marriage like this. A three-legged race. You remember remember having a three-legged race? For some of you, it's been a long time since you've had a three-legged race. It's been a long time for me. You know, I'd be breaking bones and stuff if I'd had a three-legged race today. But I, you know, I remember as, as a kid, there there was this program in our church called wana and you, you played games at the start every night uh, that you did Awana, and it, it all revolved around a circle, and in the middle of the circle was a pin and a and a beanbag, and one of the big events was three-legged race, and so they would Velcro, you know, your inside leg with somebody else's inside leg, and then you had to run around that circle. And you had to think about what you were doing before you even started to run around that circle so it wasn't a a catastrophe. But I I like to think of that verse in the context of marriage like this. Uh, Me, Barry, as the husband, my wife, Stacy, uh, next to me. And then we're joined by the cord of Christ, tying us together. One, two, three. And we can work together together like that and we can run together and serve together and when we when we are in our life running at the same pace and rhythm we can get something accomplished and it it works out well if we are wrapped with the cord of Christ the husband the wife and Jesus Christ us three together and things go well when we when we run like that in life now the opposite of that is if I'm trying to go my way and she's trying to go her way and there's no harmony and there's no unity, there's no common direction, there's just fighting and competing the whole time because we're, we're wrapped together with something else besides Christ, something else keeping us together, then it's a disaster. You have to work together. Let me just say this. In marriage, you have to work together. Both, both, the husband, the wife, you have to work together. Or it's like that bad three-legged race, you know, where you get Velcroed to some other kid and you didn't discuss off the line, or, okay, we're going to go inside, outside, inside, outside, you know. You, know, you didn't discuss that. Somebody get, blows the whistle or yells go and it's like, ah, you, you know, you're just all running and he's, he's on the ground now and you're dragging the kid and it's bad, it's bad. <laughs> bad stuff. That's, that's when you get hurt. You know, that's when it it doesn't work because you're not working together. And that's why today we talk about partnership and we talk about it's about we, not me. Okay? And I want to make a very true statement and then we'll unpack it a little bit. And that is this we need to recognize that, and this is in your notes, marriage is a covenant, not a contract. Marriage is a covenant not a contract. This might be real new information for some. We're going to unpack this and break it down a little bit. People treat marriage like a contract, just a piece of paper. You know, just get married. It's a piece of paper. That's all it is. Church, it is so much more than that, right? Right? And you know that it is much more than that. We see an example in, in Malachi chapter 2, uh, verse 14. You don't need to turn there. We'll put this up for you. But there were some people crying out to God and saying, God, why are you not answering prayers? What's going on here? Why are you not hearing us? And, and God answers and says, Because you have broken faith with her, uh, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. And there were some, some uh, children of the Lord, you could say, that were being unfaithful, some men that were being unfaithful to their spouses. And God said, hey guys, you know, cry out all you want. You're, I, I'm not hearing and answering your prayers because you've been unfaithful in your marriage to your covenant wife. That's how important faithfulness is in marriage to God. Yeah, we see marriage as not just... A piece of paper. Not a marriage contract, but a covenant. Well, what's the difference? Well, first of all, a contract is based on mutual distrust. A contract is based on mutual distrust. Write that in your notes. It's, I'm, I'm in as far as you're in on this, and you, if you do me wrong or vice versa, you know we could get out. Um, I have a rental property in, in Boise, Idaho. And I have a contract with the people who live there. And uh, it basically goes like this. If you don't pay, you don't stay. Right? <laughs> Some of you are going, yeah, I know how that is. You know? That, that is a contract. And that is how a lot of people view marriage. You know, somebody breaks the contract, it's over. You know, and then you've probably heard of a prenuptial agreement. That's a contract, right? Let's decide up front how we're going to dissolve this marriage before we get married. What? Man, that, that, is a con- that is thinking like contract right there. A covenant is based on mutual commitment. There's a difference. A covenant is based on mutual commitment. A covenant is something that is unending Totally binding. A commitment. It may be maintained by one person. Uh, there, there's no back door to this. I, I'm, I'm saying my making my covenant vows, not before the state, but before God. And covenant vows, man, they, they go something like, and you've heard them, you've said them, for richer or poorer, for better, for worse, in sickness and in health. You know? I I commit to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's covenant language, not contractual. It's totally binding. It's all in. There's there's no back door on this. There's no loophole. It's a covenant vow to God. In In a covenant, you're planning to do everything possible to stay in this. Very much different than a contract I like what Ruth Graham wife of Billy Graham a worldwide evangelist said one time when she was asked in an interview Ruth have you ever thought about divorcing your husband Billy down through all these years and she answered and said never one day in my life have I thought about divorcing him I thought about murdering him on many occasions (laughs) but never once (laughs) divorce thought that was pretty good Covenant. Let's talk about the word. Uh, The Hebrew word for covenant is berith, and it means cutting, a binding agreement, a blood covenant. It's it's not a contract. It's it's a covenant. You know, in some Old Testament marriage ceremonies, uh, they would do something like this. They would have the groom cut his hand and They'd have the bride cut her hand and then they would join hands and then uh, the priest would take a, uh, a, a leather string there and wrap their hands and tie them together like that. Kind of like being blood brothers, you know? You remember that? Some of you do that? You know, some of you guys do that back when you were a little kid. Hey, let's be blood brothers. You know, then the 80s came along and HIV and everybody was like, okay, let's just spin on it, dude. <laughs> You know, blood brothers, but some of you, some of you guys remember that as kids. We're such good friends. Let's each cut our hand here. I've got a rock, you know, and, and, uh, that was something little boys did. And, uh, you know, I just, I'm glad that today in weddings, we have like unity candles that are lit (laughs) or, or have you seen the pouring of sands? You know, one color of sand and a different color of sand. They pour those together into a, a new color of sand. That's something that's popular to do. You know, I can just imagine the, the bride and groom having to go, should we do unity candles? Should we pour the sand? Or maybe we should cut our hands and, you know, have them tied together. No, 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 we, we don't do that. But you, you saw that in some Old Testament uh, wedding ceremonies. And that is that cutting, a binding agreement... Well, what happens today? People see marriage as a contract. And since marriage is viewed like that a lot and it's not seen as a very big deal, we often see people doing married things with people long before they're married. Okay, it can go like this. Well, uh, younger people in this room, teenagers, I I wish somebody had explained this to me in middle school. All right, so listen up. Oftentimes we see someone going around, exposing their heart, their life, their dreams, their hurts, to, to many different people. It's pouring out their heart, you know, as a young person. And then sometimes we see that person going around, uh, saying, I love you, to anybody of the opposite sex that happens to come by. Just saying that word, I love you, to any, anybody and everybody. Of the opposite sex then oftentimes we see that young person start doing married things before marriage and they're practicing marriage and then when they break up which often happens and that's why it hurts so bad is because you're practicing married things you gave your heart away you give your mind away you give your body away And so in a real sense, you've practiced marriage, and then when it didn't work out, you practice divorce. You split everything up. You know, you take your toothbrush and you go your way, and you maybe even split up your friends, and you lock yourself away in a room listening to REO Speedwagon, I can't fight this feeling anymore. (laughs) Right? Now, what happens oftentimes, and you adults have seen this as well, is... Years later, when they really get married and they walk down the aisle after practicing marriage and divorce with two other people, five other people, 12 other people, 20 other people. After practicing that, one day they finally walk down the aisle, they get married, they view it as a contract, not a covenant, and they go back into what they've been practicing. Things get tough. They split up, they take their things. I'm taking my toothbrush, let's split up our friends, let's go our separate ways. And it's easy to do because we've been practicing it. Listen, folks, marriage is a holy covenant before God. It is very valuable to Him. And I don't want to be insensitive this morning. If you've been divorced... No one's judging you. I know that's painful. I know that's not what you intended to happen. Um, I, that's touched my extended family. I, I know that if you would go back and you could do things differently, you would. Uh, I'm not trying to stir up any past pain or make anybody feel guilty. I want to talk about from this point forward in your life, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, when you get married, when you stand before God, You enter into a covenant where two become one. And it's about we, not me. Turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. It's on page number 473 if you're using one of those Bibles in the back. Ephesians chapter 5. And we'll, we'll drop down to verse number 22. And now that we have established that marriage is a covenant, not a contract, let's take a moment and look at what a covenant partnership includes. Okay? And as you're finding Ephesians 5 there, we'll just jump into number one on your notes. This includes number one. A loving husband who leads. A loving husband who leads. Okay? Jot that down. Now some of you might be going, oh man, you're going to hit on the husbands. Okay, just hold on, I'm an equal opportunity offender. Okay, a loving husband who leads. Ephesians 5, look at verse 22. We're going to read a little section here, okay? It says this. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, and that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That ring a bell? That a quote from anywhere? Out of Genesis, verse 32. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see see that she respects her husband. Okay, and we'll stop right there. All right, men, you know who you are. (laughs) When, When a company, a business, struggles and fails, who's ultimately responsible for that? Yeah, the CEO, right? When a nation struggles or fails, who's ultimately responsible for that? Yeah, the president or the king or whoever is in charge. What about a sports team? A sports team struggling and and failing, who takes responsibility for that? Yep, the referees. No. (laughs) Yep, you know know it's the coach, the general manager, what have you there. Uh, Let's say a military unit... Uh, heads out to war, struggles, fails. Who ultimately takes responsibility for that? Well, it's going to be the the highest-ranking officer. Why is that? Because they're the head. They may have others under their their ranking in uh, areas of responsibility as well, but because they are in the highest authority, they bear the most responsibility. And back in Genesis 3 in the Garden of Eden... If you know the story, there, who sinned first, Adam or Eve? Eve, Eve partook, and Adam observed. <laughs> and then God comes in Genesis chapter three, and who does God call out? He calls out Adam. This is important. This is key. He calls out to Adam, and he says, "Where are you?" Why does he do that? Is is Eve not responsible for her sin? Is God not going to hold her accountable? Of course, and he does, and there's you know, there's consequences for that. But God held the man as the primary responsible person because he is head of his family. Every covenant has a head, and the head is the one who is ultimately the senior leader, the authority, the one who is responsible for the oversight, the management, the well-being of the covenant. Okay, so in our, our relationship with Christ... Okay, Jesus Christ is our covenant head. If you're a part of a a local church, Jesus Christ is the head of the church. All right, that's exactly what we read here in Ephesians chapter 5. Okay, wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And so what this does not mean, men, is as head of your household or head of the family, we're not the boss we're the head. We're not the boss like the boss at work, just sort of delegating things out to the to the wife and children. All right. Instead, we're to be the head like Jesus, and in every way, in the the, the relationship between Jesus and the church is to be, is for us a pattern for our relationship with our wives. Okay. Again, what this doesn't mean. When the Bible says the husband is the head of the wife, it doesn't mean that men are over women. This doesn't, it doesn't mean that uh, men are better than women. Okay? This means one man, one woman, husband and wife, in the covenant of marriage that the man is the head. He takes responsibility and really carries the burden before God to lovingly, humbly lead her and that he by the grace of God seeks to continually reveal Jesus to her in his words and in his actions that's what that means men take responsibility you know what's manly you know some things that are manly I'll tell you some things that are manly here's some things we think are manly Man, I can drink a lot of beer. I can eat a lot of meat. I got a ton of tools. Well, I do. <laughs> Man, I've got guns like crazy, not just these. <laughs> I'm a cage fighter. You know, we, culture has twisted what is manly. You know, we say, oh, these things are, ma- that's, you know, if you do these things or have these things, you're manly. That's what, that's what a man is, you know. Let me tell you this. When you take responsibility as covenant head, that is manly. That is masculine, guys. Yeah. All the women, you can clap there anytime, all right. <laughs> Felt it coming on, all right. Men, I would venture to say that every single one of us, including myself, can do a better job at being the head of our homes. I'm going to give you some practical steps in being the covenant head in your marriage, all right? These aren't in your notes, but you can jot them down if you'd like. I'd recommend that because your wife is probably jotting them down as well. (laughs) Here's some practical steps that you can do. Uh, Number one, get involved in church. Get involved in church, all right? You make sure that your family is involved. You make sure that your family's involved. right? Don't wake up on Sunday hoping your wife has forgot that it's Sunday again. You know? Oh, man, maybe we won't have to go to church, right? Make sure that your kids are in Kidmo, where our kids learn, and that your teens go to Fuel on Wednesday night, where our teens gather, and that you guys are involved in a small group. And that you've taken the time to be discipled or disciple others. You know, that your wife has the opportunity to go on ladies' events and ladies' retreat when that comes around. And that men, you go to our men's retreat that we only have every other year. Okay? By the way, the dates for our upcoming men's retreat are in today's newsletter. How about that? You know? Check check that out. Make sure you're there for that. I'll tell you this. Here's a a statistic, and not one that's made up. Our last ladies' retreat, they took like 125 ladies uh, from the Orchard Church. Our last men's retreat, we we took 48. It really should be flipped, guys, you know. Let me just challenge you right now to take a day for yourself and being a better man and being a better head of your home and go to our men's retreat you know you're probably gonna have to take one day off can you take one day off work to go to a men's retreat you will for hunting and fishing right one day every other year to invest in yourself and in your family as a man just one day be involved in church. Another practical step is this: Agree on what the Bible says. Agree on what the Bible says. That's, that's pretty easy. Those of you who are single, hear me on this, as God brings a potential spouse into your life, discuss and find out if you agree on what the Bible says about who God is in salvation and other Bible issues. This is important. That you agree on that. Many marriages dissolve because of that stress and tension. It, there's a verse, great verse in Luke chapter 11 verse 17 and 18 in your notes there. It says, any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined and a house divided against itself will fall. It's important that your marriage be aligned in that area. Okay, here's another one, another practical step. Worship at home together. Worship at home together. Guys, men, lead by example. Pray together. Okay? If you're like, man, I don't even know where to start with that. Well, pray at meals. Pray at some meals. Pray with your kids before they go to school. Pray with your kids before they go to bed. Talk about God. Ask them questions about what they've learned in Kidmo or at Fuel if they're teenagers. You be the one to start that and instigate that. You know, oftentimes, you know who starts that and leads spiritually at home? Do you know know who does that? It's the wife. And guess what? Glad to have them do it if you won't. Right? But men, take that responsibility and lead there. You know, don't raise your hands. How many of you men are here today because your wife made you to be? You know? Men, as the covenant head, your marriage will be about we and not me. If you view your marriage as a covenant and you take responsibility, your marriage will be what God intended for it to be. It'll be a healthy marriage. You'll include God in His design for marriage. So a covenant partnership includes a husband as covenant head. And it also includes, this is number two. I told you I'd get to it. A respectful wife who encourages. A respectful wife who encourages. I just heard a woman say amen. That's great. (laughs) One, One with me this morning here. Ephesians 5:33, we read it. I'll just remind you, it says here, "Nevertheless, let each of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, that is to the men, and let the wife see that she respects her husband." Okay? Uh, wives, as a man, let me tell you how powerful you are as a wife. You are incredibly powerful not in the weightlifting sense of the word, <laughs> but in the, in the areas of trust and encouragement and hope and courage. You are incredibly powerful in the life of your husband. In fact, I would go as far as to say that for the average man, no one's opinion matters to him as much as his wife's. Men, is that true? You look into your heart of hearts, When we're talking about the respectful wife, we're not talking about a wife who's always flattering her husband, but she carefully weighs her words to help him become more respectable so that he would grow and become more and more respectable in his sphere of influence in his life. That's the hope. This is really simple but profound and a powerful concept. Some wives want their husbands to be more respectable. And there are two ways to approach that. One, you can nag and disrespect and talk about behind the back, and you will never get the results that you're hoping for. Can anybody say amen to that? Amen. Or two, you can pray for him, and instead of just nagging him, you can respect him thereby helping him become more respectable. Wives, I would venture to say that all wives could do a better job at respecting their husbands like all husbands could do a better job at being the head of their home. Okay, some practical steps. I'm going to pose a a few questions. They're practical steps to being the respectful wife in your marriage. Uh, The first question is this. How do you think about your husband? You know, in that private life up in your mind. How do you think about him? Do you think about your husband in a way that is hopeless or hopeful? Do you think about him in a way that is respectful or disrespectful? Some of you'd say, Well, I think stuff, but I never say it. <laughs> well, trust me, you know, God knows what you're thinking, and your husband sees it on your face, too. You know, do you think he's an idiot? Do you think, well, I could have done that better than him? Do you think, well, I'm smarter than he is. I'm more godly. If I were head of this house, then things would just be going better. If he would do just what I told him to do, then, you know, things would be awesome. He'd be a good leader if he'd just shut up and stand in line where I told him to stand. (laughs) Something to think about. Do Do you think... He's not very impressive. If I had to do it all over again, I would do it differently. I wouldn't have picked him. He's not as smart as me. He's not as nice as me. He's not as fun as me. He's not as dependable as me. He's not as hardworking as me. I deserve better. Tragically, he is a loser. (laughs) How do you think about your husband? Here's what Philippians 4, 8 and 9 says about thinking in general. And I want to, I'd apply this to thinking About your husband in particular. It says this Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, if you can find any good in the guy, okay, I added that, meditate on these things. The things which you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. How do you think about your husband? Let me ask you another question in way of practical application this morning. How do you feel about your husband? How do you feel about him? How do you think about your husband? And how do you feel about your husband? You know how you feel about your husband by what you say. There's a great verse in Matthew, and Jesus said this out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You know, what comes from the heart is going to come out of the mouth if there's disrespect in the head it's going to reside in your heart it's going to come out in your speech you know that's with everything in life i'll just say this ladies that's it's really important to be regularly praying for your husband to pray for him because it conditions you how to speak to your husband you know, if, you're, if you're going, man, this is me, this is an area I struggle with, one of the great cures for that, ladies, is to pray for your husband continually. To pray for him, to lift him up before God. To talk to God about him in a way that eventually you will talk to him that way. Now, ladies, this doesn't mean that you're a total flatterer. You, you know, you never point out sin. You don't deal with hard things. You, you know, you, you, you never discuss problems. You just stand there and keep your mouth shut. No, 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 no. It just means your tone will change. That's all. Then let me ask you, ladies, one more question in light of practical application. Is How do you help? He needs help. You know, back in Genesis chapter 2, beginning, before sin entered into the world, God had man, and he said, there's there's one thing that's not good, and that's that he's alone. He needs a helper. I I will make a helper fit for him. Okay? Every man knows I need help. Right? Right, ladies? Just look at a man. Okay? Nothing against our single guys, but just look at a single man. Some of you ladies are going, yeah, you see it. They need help. (laughs) And you're going, I will help. (laughs) He needs help. Everyone knows that. God made woman to be his helper. And God created woman, not out of a bone of of Adam's head, because Adam wasn't to lord over her, or or she wasn't to be higher than than Adam. She wasn't created out of a, a bone out of Adam's foot, because Adam wasn't to be above her, trod on her, but a bone out of his side, right? A rib from his side. Because we are equal. One bears responsibility before God as a covenant head. One bears responsibility as a helper. She is equal. Men and women both bear the image and the likeness of God But they work together in a complementary way. They come together, kind of like the the right and left hand. He he bears the burden and responsibility of being the leader. She's the helper. They need each other to glorify God and to do good for one another. Ladies, your husband needs you. He doesn't need you to condemn him. Satan is already doing that. He doesn't need you to criticize him. His enemies are already doing that. He needs you to encourage Him. Come alongside Him and say, I'm here to help you become more like Jesus. I'm here to help so that you can lead our family in the purposes of Jesus. I know you can't do it alone and I am here to help. Ladies, as you are respectful, as you are a respectful wife, your marriage will be about we and not just me. Because it will include God and His design for a healthy marriage. Here's your assignment. Remember I asked you about the assignment from last week? Some of you were like, oh yeah, there was an assignment. Here's your assignment for next week. Okay? And we'll ask again. Take time today. Not later in this week. This is Sunday. Take time today. Together and talk. Men, about how you can be a better loving leader. And ladies, talk about how you can be a better respectful wife who encourages. Talk. That's the key. Talk to one another about this. Marriage is a covenant, not a contract. A covenant partnership. It includes a loving husband who leads, and it also includes a respectful wife who encourages. And when one of these is missing, marriage is not what God intended for it to be. When both of these are in place, you see marriage. Man, marriage is the very definition of two elements coming together. Two different elements coming together. Marriage then is what God intended for it to be. Because our vow of partnership is I promise that our marriage will be about we and not me. Would you bow your head?